This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Acts chapter 6, uh, we're going to start at verse number 1. Now, I will give you a little bit of a caveat here before we jump into this. Some people believe that this is not the first deacons of the church. And so, uh, do they fulfill the role, office, calling of the, the deacon? For sure. Uh, some people aren't convinced, though, that this is where the, the deacons in the church actually started. Uh, my my understanding and, and perception of scripture is this is the first deacons of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, if you disagree with me, we can just uh, be friends and get ice cream sometime or I'm not going to fight you over it. So, uh, but uh, again, helpful to see the, the role of the deacon and what functions uh, they perform that we see here. Uh, Acts chapter 6, starting verse number 1. In those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the uh, daily ministration. When the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And here's what I love happened after that. Take a look at verse number seven. The very first thing that happened after they appointed these uh, deacons in the church, the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. It's interesting to, to see how the church functions and operates. And again, uh, so many different churches have created their own church governance structures and, and who runs the church, or who calls the shots for the church, or where church leadership is found, whether it's done in a committee or a, a group of people that get together or a leadership team or things like that. But we really just need to go back to Scripture and find out how it's done well. Now, depending on the types of churches that you've been in before, maybe the churches functioned well, maybe they were unhealthy, maybe they had unbiblical uh, structures of leadership. Uh, my goal is not to correct everybody else and everybody else is wrong. My goal is to, to take, for us to take a look at what the Bible says about what uh, biblical leadership looks like in the church. At Who We Call a Baptist Church, we have two deacons. I want to ask our deacons to stand up at this time. Uh, John Stoker and Tim Miller. Fellas, stand up if you would. Uh, so, Two, two solid, solid godly dudes in the church, and so if you ever wonder who our deacons are, that's them. Uh, and so, you, you, could, you could, if you wanted to clap, you could. So, Here's the thing. Uh, you'll never have these guys come up to your church on a Sunday morning and say, hey, I'm Tim, I'm a deacon around here. This, this isn't Deacon John, you know, and like you wear a big name tag that says deacon on it, you know. Again, <laughs> If you have to tell somebody that you're a servant, you're probably not a servant, right? Uh, and so it's not a matter of, when we take a look at the, the idea behind the deacon, it's an opportunity to serve. And so you'll see these guys on a, a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, usually the first ones here and usually the last ones to leave. Uh, always making sure that everything's taken care of, that people are taken care of, that people are well served, uh, and that the, the, uh, the pastor can fo focus and function on the things that, that I need to focus on. So again, we see that here. Only two offices in the church is defined by scripture, the office of the pastor and the office of the deacon. Those are the only two offices that we find in the Bible. Again, we don't find any archbishops or cardinals or anything uh, else like that that got created through uh, false churches or things like that. We just see the pastor and the deacon. Uh, we don't even see like worship team members. That's not like a biblical office or anything like that. We don't see choir director, not a biblical office. We don't see the head of finance, not a biblical office. We don't see the chief executive officer or the chief discipleship officer. Those aren't things in the Bible. The Bible has deacons and pastors uh, that provide the leadership for our church. Now, when we talk about leadership, it's important to understand what we mean by that. If you look at leadership from a business perspective, these are the guys that are looking at charts and flow charts and figure out who goes where, and, and you go there, I'll go here, and, and we're bossing people around and telling people what to do and putting people in holes and getting them to fill that. And if you can't meet the metrics, then we'll find somebody else who can. That's not biblical leadership. 
And unfortunately, there's been many churches over the years who have tried to adopt that model. Uh, Willow Creek Church, if you ever want to go down the rabbit hole of, of churches that really went off the rails, uh, Willow Creek Church would be one of those where uh, the pastor at the time, Bill Hybel, said that he was the CEO of the church, and he adopted a, a business model for the church. And it was his job to, to appoint other C-level executives in different areas of the church, and they would function and, and do those, and everybody would report back to the CEO. Uh, Willow Creek Church was also one of the first churches that spawned the seeker-sensitive movement. In other words, we need to go out and survey our community and find out what they want, and we're going to give them that. You want shorter services? We'll give you that. Uh, you want a kid's program with a water slide? We'll build a water slide because that's what people want. Uh, and so that, was, that idea of, of giving the unsaved man what he desires created a very warped mindset, if you can imagine. They did a, a study several years ago, probably about 10 years or so ago now, and they found that the, the, the church was absolutely busting at the seams. I mean, 20, 25,000 people were attending this church on a given weekend, multiple sites, multiple campuses, things like that. What they found is they interviewed the people who attended the churches that none of them read their Bible throughout the week, none of them prayed throughout the week, and the only thing that they knew about the Bible was what they were told on Sunday mornings. And basically, again, it wasn't a shock to anybody who saw that model you create an environment where people, you're spoon-feeding people on Sunday, and then they starve throughout the week because nobody ever taught them how to feed themselves. And so when we take a look at the, the office of the pastor and the office of the deacon, both of these uh, offices are offices of leadership, but they're offices of leadership by service. That's really important to understand that both of these offices within the church and the men that fulfill the functions of these offices, they serve. They don't have a team of people that they're, they're poking and you do this, you do that, you do this. They're the ones that are actually getting the work done. And again, we see that's a biblical model. Jesus Christ, when it came time to eat the Passover meal, he, he gathered his, his disciples together, his apostles together, and he washed their feet. And he says, I'm giving this to you as an example, that I'm creator God of the universe, but I choose to serve other people because of my love for them. That's biblical leadership. Biblical leadership of the office of the pastor or the deacon is not, uh, I have a, a black Escalade waiting for me on the curb, and as soon as I say amen, I run out a secret exit where nobody can find me, and I jump into the back of a black Escalade that's at 72 degrees with my water at room temperature in the back seat and a plate full of Panda Express sitting beside me. That's not biblical leadership. And again, when people adopt that mindset, they've adopted a, a self-important view of themselves. We take a look at the word deacon. The word deacon literally means servant. The word could be used interchangeably with the word servant, deacon, uh, minister. Minister means one who serves. It doesn't necessarily mean one who stands behind a pulpit or preaches on a Sunday morning or things like that. Uh, the, the office of the deacon is an office of service. We took a look at this, at this this morning, two Greek words for the word servant in the Bible. The Greek word diakonos, which is where we get our word deacon, and the Greek word doulos, which means slave or bond slave. So we get our word deacon from the one who basically waits tables. And again, we see in Acts chapter 6 here, uh, the, the pastors of the church, which were the apostles at the time, they said, hey, I can't leave time in the word. I can't leave time in prayer to go and make somebody a sandwich. I don't, I don't have time for that. Well, you we have these people in the church that they need somebody to make them a sandwich. Okay, the, they said, we can't do that, so let us find seven men of honest report that can go and take care of these needs of the church. Uh, basically, the widows were being neglected in the church, and they said, hey, we need somebody to help with this. And the apostles, ones that, that were pastoring the church, says, we need to focus on prayer and study of the Bible. We can't necessarily leave that to go make sandwiches. Should somebody make sandwiches? Definitely. We just can't do that because we have a different role. Now, it's important to understand uh, that, that even the pastor here, I scrub toilets, I change uh, uh, toilet paper in the bathrooms, uh, I run to Costco sometimes and pick up uh, paper towels if that's what we need. Again, it's a matter of everybody jumping in and doing what they need to do, but the office of the deacon is so that they can offload some of that so that I don't have to do those types of things and can focus more on the ministry of the word and service uh, to people. The office of the deacon is an office of service, not of authority. This might be different based on some churches that you grew up in or churches that you've gone to. 
an unhealthy view of the church is where the deacons are in charge of the church uh, and the fact that they tell the pastor what to do, they tell him when he should be at work, and what types of things he should get done. Uh, there are some churches where uh, this is, I'm not I'm making this up, the pastor puts together a preaching schedule for the next 90 days and submits that to the deacons to get their sign off on it so that he can actually preach what he feels like God leading him to preach. That's a 100% unbiblical model. Uh, the, the office of the deacon was never to be an office of authority, uh, to, be, to be telling anybody what to do or anything like that. It was always a uh, an office of service. Uh, Deacons are servants who do whatever is necessary to allow the pastors to accomplish their God-given calling of shepherding and teaching the church. If you were to boil it all down, here's what they do. And so sometimes people say, "Well, well, what do the deacons do? They do whatever I need them to do. They're willing and ready to do whatever it takes uh, to, to help with that. John Stoker helps me in a multitude of different ways. Uh, Tim Miller uh, helps in a multitude of different ways. We meet together on a monthly basis. Uh, first Saturday of every month, we meet for our deacons meeting. And we sit, we talk through things like uh, how my walk with God is, how my family's doing, uh, some challenges that I'm personally facing to give me some spiritual accountability before these men. Uh, we talk about the new folks that have come to our church. We talk about people uh, who have maybe fallen off in their attendance. We talk about other challenges that people are going through in the church and needs that people have that need to be met. We talk about new families that have come and how we need to get them plugged into the church body and get fellowship. We talk about our small groups and uh, the size of them and who's going to uh, be one of the leaders of the next group that we have. We've been getting to discuss that. We talk about logistics. And when we run out of space here, what do we do? What's the next plan for that? And so, so these guys help me to talk through this, think through this, and a lot of times they'll just take the ball and run with it. Hey, I got this covered, don't worry about it. And that's such a blessing to me. But again, at no point whatsoever uh, are the deacons feel like it's their job to, uh, you know, tell the pastor what to do. Uh, I've heard deacons before say, well, it's my job to keep the pastor humble. <laughs> that's not funny. Your pastor needs encouragement. You just need somebody to knock them down a few notches. What well, maybe some pastors do. Uh, but, um, but again, the, the office of the deacon is the office of uh, service. Deacons are to care for the material, administrative, and logistical needs of the church family that do not require pastoral attention. Now, here's the thing. We'll talk about this next week when we talk about the office of the pastor. But there's coming a day when I die that I stand before God and I give an account for this church. That's very heavy for me. The Bible says that I'll have to give an answer for your soul personally. That's a really, really big deal to me. And so again, sometimes people say like, well, a pastor wants to be involved in every single decision that takes place in the church. I don't, really, I promise you that, but when it relates to the health and well-being of individual people in our church, I want to be 100% involved in that because that's what I'll stand before God for. I don't stand before God for how much we spent on paper towels last month. I don't care about that. I don't stand before God for whether or not we ran out of coffee last Sunday night. I don't care about that. Do not want us to have coffee? Sure, because I want you to stay awake in church. But at the end of the day, I can delegate that to whoever needs to because there's certain things that only I can do. And so again, it's the, the job of the deacons. It's the office of the deacon. It's the responsibility of the deacon uh, to be able to take on these tasks. Deacons lift the burden from the pastor by providing care for the church. Every single deacons meeting that we have every single month, no lie, we talk through almost every single person in the church. You know, like, I thought I felt my ears burning on the first Saturday of the month. Uh, that's what it was. And again, not talking about you in a negative aspect. Like, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Are they doing okay? Yep, I followed up with them. They're, they've been out of town. They're coming back. Uh, hey, what about so-and-so? Oh, they were sick. Uh, we'll begin to talk about uh, who they've had fellowship with, who they've had in their homes, uh, challenges that other people are facing, how we can pray for them. Uh, hey, could you have your wife reach out to, the, to this lady? We haven't seen her at church in a few weeks. Hey, could you uh, have your, your wife uh, reach out to this family over here? I think they're, that you guys are neighbors or something like that. Those types of things is how they help me in the shepherding of the church and the care of the church. Deacons also help maintain a spirit of unity. Again, if we take a look at uh, Acts chapter uh, 6, verse number 1, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. So here there were Jews and Gentiles that were having a little bit of problem in the church there, and the deacons jumped in to provide unity. 
That, that's a biblical role of what the, the deacons will do. It's a biblical responsibility to make sure that we maintain unity in the church. If there's ever a problem somewhere, we work together to make sure that those problems get resolved. By the grace of God, in almost nine years here at Hui Kala, we'll be nine years old in October, we've had very little drama in our church, and we had one instance and one instance only where the drama lasted more than 24 hours. And it only lasted more than 24 hours because I found out about it late. And then we, we fixed the reporting problem so that I don't get found out late. And that problem was squashed within, within 48 hours of me finding out about it. Because there's a zero tolerance uh, policy here at Hui Collin for any type of drama, disunity, because we got, w- hey look, we got way too much work to do to be fighting and bickering about, oh, somebody sat in my seat, or I think it's really too cold over in this section here. Um, sorry, buy a sweatshirt, move, I don't care. Like, we don't have time for that. Amen. We gotta focus on the big stuff here, okay? And the big stuff is seeing our island come to Jesus Christ. That's the big deal. And so deacons help maintain a spirit of unity. Uh, Both of these men know my heart. And here's the thing. If I were not here, they know exactly, precisely how things should be handled in my absence because they have my heart, because they spend time with me. We have meetings, and I don't just say, well, I'm going to do this, or I think we should do that. Hey, I think we should do this, and let me tell you why. And they do an outstanding job of catching my heart and catching my vision behind things. And so, again, these are the types of guys that in my absence, everything can work the way that it should. Uh, last uh, August, I, I got COVID, uh, and I was so bummed out. Uh, I wasn't bummed out that I got COVID or had to stay at home or anything like that. I was bummed out that I didn't get to come to church. Like, I wanted to be here. And so I got COVID on a Monday, and then I, I called both the deacons and said, hey, I just want to let you know that I, I tested positive for COVID. What's the plan on notifying the church family? What should we say? Uh, I said, Tim, can you preach on Sunday? He said, yes. I said, John, uh, make sure that everything else runs smoothly and everything's taken care of. And I told Trey, Trey, I need, need you to make announcements to make sure everything keeps running. And, and no lie, in less than 10 minutes, I hung up the phone, and I didn't worry about it for the rest of the week. Like, just burdened lifted. Now, had you dialed that back, you know, Three years ago, I would have been in a panic. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I would have been pulling my hair out. I would have been like, I think I could probably fake a, positive, uh, a negative COVID test if I needed to and just go to church and just wing it and just wave at people and stay away from it. I don't know. But this lifts a burden from me and allows me to have more bandwidth to accomplish more ministry. And so, again, part of, of the responsibility of the office of a deacon is to maintain a spirit of unity. Deacons must not also have a spirit of service, but also meet the biblical qualifications of the office. Not just anybody can be a deacon. Uh, There's biblical qualifications for that. There are good men in our church that love Jesus and would be outstanding deacons, but they're not biblically qualified. We'll take a look at those qualifications of of the deacons here in just a moment. It was probably up until, uh, I would say, year six of Huikala, that God actually brought some men to our church uh, that fulfilled the role and office of a deacon that were willing and had the capability to do that. Prior to that, we had some guys that, that, that fit the biblical qualifications of it but didn't necessarily have the time uh, that they could allot to it or commit to it and, and so they couldn't serve in that capacity. Other folks, you know, said, hey, I'm going through some things right now. I don't think it's a good time for me. That's fine. Uh, but uh, I believe it was uh, in, uh, let me see. I'm trying to think in off the, just off the top of my head. I, I want to say it was 2018. Uh, that we uh, selected our first two deacons, uh, John Stoker and Joey Hinn. Uh, Joey Hinn's a, a major in the Air Force. He's in, uh, they're in Alabama right now. Those two guys served as our first two deacons uh, when, when Joey and, and his family PCS to uh, Germany. Uh, then we went for probably, I don't know, six months or so without uh, a second deacon. And then uh, last Easter, uh, we uh, nominated uh, Tim Miller uh, as a deacon, and he's been serving with us for the last uh, year. And so, the key is, it's not a matter of like, oh, who's a popular guy in our church that could do this? Or who's somebody that people like really well? Uh, who's somebody that maybe has connections that we could leverage? No, 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 no. Can this person serve with the Spirit of Christ? Is this person biblically qualified? Those are the things that we look at. Now, again, sometimes people ask, well, how many deacons should a church have? And I think definitely the, sh- the number of deacons that you have in your church uh, should, should correlate to the size and the needs of your church, if you will. But when we take a look at the church at Jerusalem, it's estimated to be somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000 people. They had seven deacons. 
so it's always been strange to me when you go to a, a, a church of 60 in Alabama and they've got 20 deacons. It's just like, you got a third of your church are deacons. Well, he's been here for a long time. And this guy over here gives a lot of money. And it would hurt this guy's feeling if he wasn't a deacon. And so it's just like, what? that's crazy talk, you know? And so, again, it's a matter of, of do these people fit the biblical qualifications? Do they have a spirit of service? And, and again, do we need more deacons to help us to maintain uh, the needs of the church? Uh, turn your Bibles over. If you went over to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll take a look at the uh, biblical qualifications of the deacon. This passage will also be in next Sunday night as we take a look at the biblical qualifications of uh, the pastor. Uh, exact same passage of Scripture talks about both of these. So, again, mind you, the church has scattered from Jerusalem. Churches are popping up all over the place. No real leadership guidance is given. They're just gathering together and praying and singing and studying the Bible and loving each other and encouraging them and trying to meet each other's needs and tell other people about Jesus as well. Paul begins to plant churches and kind of gives guidelines for these new churches that he's planning on how to do things. And so he writes to Timothy and he writes to Titus, uh, two young men that were pastors, and told them, hey, Going forward, if you're going to ordain pastors, here's the qualifications of that. Going forward, if you're going to ordain deacons, here are the qualifications for that. And so it's not a matter of like, well, I think this person would be good or that person would be good. It's a matter of are they qualified? So many times there are, are men that could preach circles around me, preach my socks off. Uh, there are women that could lead better than I do. That's fine. They're not biblically qualified. And so again, it, it's not a matter of, of so much many times the ability, although that's a part of it, that someone have the capability to fulfill the role. But first and foremost, are they even qualified to fill the role? First uh, Timothy chapter 3, uh, it starts off in verse number 1. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, the word bishop can be used interchangeably with the word pastor, he desireth a good work. And then it goes on to give the guidelines of the office of the pastor. Uh, go down to verse number 8, though. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, Holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, let them also first be proved, then let them use the office of the deacon and be found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For they have used the office of a deacon, well purchased themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, we take a look at really nine qualifications of the, the uh, office of the deacon as we look at those. First and foremost, they must be honorable. That means this person must be respectable. They have to be esteemed. They have to be worthy. This is not someone who somebody who people think poorly of, has a bad testimony, uh, maybe can't be serious can't hold a serious conversation. Everything's a joke to them. <laughs> hey, look, I like to have fun as much as anybody else. But then there comes a time where it's like, hey, this is really serious business. And they recognize the seriousness of the leadership when it comes to leading people in Jesus' church. Secondly, they must not be double-tongued. That means two-faced or insincere. You want them to be able to be transparent and be able to whatever they say is what they say. Their word has to be good. Next, not given to much wine. <clears throat> this means this person should not use alcohol. And, and again, this is not a message on alcohol, but I'll just say this and put this out here. This is my position as a pastor. This is the position of our church. Alcohol never helped anybody be a better Christian in the history of mankind. And for every person who wants to say, like, oh, I can handle my alcohol, I never get drunk, I drink at home, uh, I, I never am around other people, uh, I've never even gotten buzzed, I, I just have a glass of wine with, with pasta when I make it. For every one of those, I can name 12 men, women, who cannot handle their alcohol, who has totally destroyed their lives. So, again, you might say, well, I think that's a little bit too, too far of a stretch. Sit in my chair for six months and tell me if I'm wrong. Of, of the domestic abuse, sexual abuse, DUIs, uh, career-ending decisions that people have made. Just sit in that seat for about six months and tell me how alcohol is a gift to the Christian to be used for cause of celebration. I don't buy it at all. 
Our church constitution and bylaws actually state that the office of the pastor and the deacon cannot use alcohol at all, 100% abstain from alcohol. We also ask our leaders of our small groups and our children's ministry to abstain from alcohol because our leaders in our ministry, we don't want them to, to have something that wouldn't be congruent with the policy of our church. And so again, I think it's interesting when they give the qualifications of the godliest men that the church will have that alcohol is mentioned here because it's that important to God. And again, I'm just going to give you a really quick tidbit and we're going to move on. When people say things like, well, didn't Jesus turn, al- turn water into wine? Yes, but it wasn't alcoholic wine. Jesus wouldn't give somebody something to get them drunk. Secondly, Jesus didn't drink alcoholic wine because, Je- because it was forbidden for the office of the prophet, the priest, and the king were not allowed to drink alcohol at all. Jesus Christ was all three of those, prophet, priest, and king. Woe unto him who gives the neighbor a drink. Jesus would have actually been sinning to give someone alcohol. So again, there's 10,000 reasons why Jesus didn't turn water into alcoholic wine for a raucous, uh, drunken party at a wedding. So uh, again, if you want more details on that, I'd be happy to give it to you or happy to have a conversation with you. But as far as the office of the deacon, uh, that's kind of a a non-starter. Next, not greedy for dishonest gain. This means that these people can't be looking to constantly make money. Uh, Greedy of filthy lucre. Not necessarily like, hey, this person invested their money well and God's blessed them. Uh, God's blessings when we steward what he has well is God's blessing. These are people who have a desire to make money sometimes in nefarious ways or... or, um, dishonest ways in some way. Uh, again, the, the Bible says, it's so funny sometimes people, again, use the Bible out of context. Well, well the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, money's the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money is the root of all evil. And so again, there's nothing inherently sinful about money. The sinful part of it is our, our heart's attachment to money. When it becomes idolatry, uh, we begin to place that above God. We begin to think about money, 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 money. How can I make more? How can I make more? How can I make more? So that I can enrich myself. Now, again, are there people who want to invest their money wisely and get a good return so that they can invest back in the kingdom? Absolutely. God blesses that. Are there people who just want to be wise and maybe retire early or to uh, buy a property that will bring forth a future investment? Sure. God blesses stewardship. God never blesses idolatry. And so when it comes to the office of a deacon, they can't be greedy for dishonest gain. Next, they need to be sound in faith and gospel stewardship. Again, as we take a look through uh, this uh, passage uh, let's see the uh, verse number, uh, where do we go? Oh, uh, number nine. Verse number nine where it says, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. The mystery of faith that it's talking about here is the gospel. These people need to be sound in Bible doctrine and they also have to steward the gospel well. What does that mean? That means they're sharing their faith. They know how to lead people to Christ. With, with both of our deacons that we have in our church, it's like, uh, you know, hey, here's Steve. Steve doesn't know for sure if he died today, he's going to heaven. Could you help him? Absolutely. These men are, are Johnny on the spot, ready to share the gospel and see people get saved. Again, I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for a, a deacon that couldn't share the gospel or lead somebody to Christ. Just not, not even biblically qualified in this case here. They need to know what they believe and why they believe it. They need to be able to understand the Bible. They need to, these men need to be disciple makers. Again, that's part of the, the gospel and the Great Commission is not only being able to explain the gospel, but to teach people uh, the, the word of God as well. Uh, not a requirement of the office of the deacon, but God has blessed our church with two deacons who can, can preach the word incredibly well. And again, in the history of Huicala, there's been probably five people that have stood behind this pulpit on a Sunday morning. Two of those five outside of me, two of those five are are deacons. I I trust them with the word of God in my absence. I'm always interested because I love reading people's sermon outlines. Hey, send me a sermon outline. I'd love to take a look at it. But I never look and go, I want to check and see what Tim's going to say on Sunday. I'm not sure if it's theologically correct and accurate. No, I want to check and make sure that John really knows his Bible. John knows probably more of the Bible than I do. And so, uh, again, I'm thankful that God has blessed us with deacons uh, who can share and preach the word well. Again, preaching the word, not a biblical requirement, but the fact that they're sound and solid in their Bible doctrine and that they can steward the gospel well, that is a requirement. Number uh, six, they must be proven and blameless. Verse number 10, let these also be first proved. We'll let them use the office of the deacon being found blameless. If you ever get a chance to read through the absolutely exciting document that is our church constitution and bylaws, like it's just a page turner, let me tell you. Like you read it in one sitting, can't put it down. 
you'll find that when it comes to nominating deacons, we don't nominate any deacons that haven't been a part of who we call for two years or more. Why? It's a biblical requirement. Take a look at that. They must be proven. Hey, is this guy committed to the faith? Does this guy really love Jesus? Uh, does this guy really have the capability to share the gospel? And if he does, does he actually share it with anyone? Do I see spiritual fruit in his life? What's his testimony like? Not necessarily just with, within people in the church. What's his testimony in his workplace like? Do people consider him honorable? Do people look at him as somebody who is a solid Christian man, or does he have kind of a, a checkered testimony? The only way to know is to watch and wait. Paul tells Timothy to lay hands suddenly on no man. Be very, very careful before you put your stamp of approval on someone. And so again, this, these, these guys need to be proven. They need to have a track record of faithfulness to Jesus. That's why, again, the office of a deacon is not going to be to some guy who just got saved 90 days ago. Uh, seems to be really on fire for God. No, you're going to wait for a minute and make sure that you have the track record of faithfulness to prove it. Also, blameless, again, that, uh, the, uh, that term is kind of a general term, which means their overall character. Do they have a good testimony? Uh, and the idea of blameless uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they're perfect because none of us are perfect, but it means that any accusations against their character don't stick. Peter actually says in, in Scripture that if somebody were to try to malign your character, that they should be ashamed for even making such a statement. Because your character is so impeccable that people should be embarrassed to say something otherwise, even your enemies. And so the idea of the office of a deacon is these guys have to be blameless. They've got to have a right walk with God. They've got to be living right. And if at any point, now mind you, this goes for the office of the deacon and the pastor. If at any point they disqualify themselves, they're no longer able to fulfill the office. By the same token, one of the requirements of a pastor is that he be found blameless. If at any point there are accusations against my character that have merit, that cause reproach upon the name of Christ, I must either resign from our church or be voted out as the pastor of our church. Those are the only two options because I have biblically disqualified myself. Now, I'll just share a really brief story uh, as a kid growing up. One of the deacons uh, in our church, uh, in our, our, one of the deacons in our church, his daughter was in the youth group with me. His daughter had a boyfriend, wasn't a Christian. She got pregnant out of wedlock. According to the, the biblical qualifications of a deacon, he was not ruling his house well. So he got up on a Sunday night, came up, cried, confessed before the church what his daughter had done, that he hadn't ruled his house well, and he let her, left them alone on multiple occasions for extended periods of time, that uh, she had been away and, and spent the night at his house, and nobody was checking up on her, and he had been negligent, all these other things, and he said, I'm just, I, I believe it's best that I resign from the, off, from the office of the deacon. So when he came up and stopped, like, no, brother, we love you, we're for you, we're gonna, you're gonna stick in here and stick after it, we, we love you, we're for you, and we're tearing up your resignation letter, and everybody stood up and clapped, and I'm sitting there going like, why are you just clapping? Like, he just admitted to failing his family in sin, and we're giving the guy a standing ovation. That, that doesn't make sense. And I remember as a 16-year-old boy sitting there to myself thinking, like, something's not right here. And it's not. The person had biblically disqualified themselves from the office of the pastor. Uh, so again, blameless, uh, that's a background, reputation, theological position. All these things have to be examined and make sure that they meet the biblical qualifications. Uh, next, uh, number seven, must have a godly wife. Verse number 11, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. So again, we're blessed by the fact that both of our deacon's wives, uh, Juliana and, and Kristen both, are just godly women that love Jesus, uh, constantly again pouring into the ladies of our church and the families of our church, and uh, they serve not only children's ministry, but our hospitality ministry. Uh, usually you'll see them on a Sunday morning when you come into church. Why? Because them and their husbands are usually the first ones here. And so again, love serving our church, have a desire and a spirit uh, to, to serve our church and to serve it well. But again, there's biblical qualifications for even their wives. So again, this is a really big deal. And again, you, as we look at this list, you go, wow, it's 
pretty narrow list that we got here. Absolutely. Because when it comes to the leadership of Jesus' church, impeccable character is the expectation. Because, again, the name of Christ is attached to the body of Christ. It can't be led by carnal men who desire to serve their own fleshly lusts. You can't afford that. So their wives must be honorable, serious, and faithful. Next, they must be the husband of one wife. Now this phrase here has been gotten uh, very uh, uh, confusing and convoluted and things like that. If you were to take a look at the original Greek language, uh, the Greek language literally means a one-woman man is what this means. Translated in the majority of English translations to the husband of one wife. Now some people have taken this and said, well, by one-woman man it only means like one woman at a time. And to that I say, so that I could divorce my wife once a week and get a different wife and have 52 wives a year, as long as I only have one at a time? I don't think that's the idea behind it. Again, the idea here is that they're a husband of one wife. They've been married one time, and the wife that they have is their first wife. Uh, why? Because the marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And Christ didn't put away his wife and get him another wife when the first wife failed him. He continued to love his church. Even when the church has failed Jesus, he continues to love and he continues to, to uh, pour into. And so again, my interpretation of this and the majority of, of Bible scholars believe that this is the uh, idea that a person has been married one time and they are currently married to their first wife. Now again, what happens if a spouse passes away? Again, then we go back to the scripture. What do the scriptures say? The scriptures say that they're free to remarry without committing adultery. And I think things like that would uh, definitely be the case here in this case. And so uh, I know good men that have been in the office of a pastor, which also has the same qualification of it uh, as well. And so uh, the, uh, they, their wife has passed away, and then they have remarried and continue to pastor the church. But I, I don't, do not believe that the office of the deacon or the office of a pastor should be uh, done by a single man. Again, because one of the qualifications is uh, the husband of one wife. And sometimes people say, well, I think that's like if you're married, then you would have one wife. That's not what it says. It says let him be the husband of one wife. Not like well, let him, if he's married, have only one wife. But if he's not married, that's okay too. That's not what it says, husband of one wife. And so this, again, qualification here means that the office of the deacon is only for men. Well, I know some women that could do really well on that. I do too, 100%. But they're not biblically qualified. And so again, it doesn't come matter, back to a matter of like, what do I think, what do you think, who's good for this, who's not good for this. It comes back to what does the Bible say? Now, some people say, well, yeah, in the Bible there was actually one deaconess. So keep your finger here in First Timothy. We're going to come back in a second. Turn to Romans chapter 16. This is fun. <laughs> Romans chapter 16, verse number one. A lady by the name of Phoebe. Now, depending on the English translation of the Bible that you have in your hands, will determine what this verse says. If you have a King James Version of the Bible, if you have an ESV Version of the Bible, it's going to say something along the lines of, uh, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Chentria. If you have a New International Version or some other type of version, you might find the word there, Phoebe, a deaconess of the church. So how do we resolve that? Well, again, we go back and say, what is the original Greek word that was used there? Anybody want to take a guess what the Greek word that was used there for that word, servant? Not doulos. Diakonos. She's a servant. She's one who serves the church, and she serves it well. Is it talking about the fact that she was one who served the church? Or is it talking about she fulfilled the office and the role of the deacon? I believe it's the, the former, that she basically was a servant of the church. She did what was necessary to help the church. She was not selected or ordained as a deacon. She obviously, according to uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, did not meet the qualifications of the office of a deacon. Uh, but she was just a servant of the church. 
And so again, this is why, uh, and again, you, want, you have questions about the King James, I'm happy to answer them, but this is why, one of the reasons why Bible versions matter. It's not just a matter of like, oh, the NIV is so much easier to read, I think I'll do that instead. Well, then you get tripped up because if you just read that and say, well, Phoebe was a deaconess, so I think we should have female deacons at our church. I mean, like Mary, I mean, can anybody be a better deacon than Mary over here? I mean, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. And I mean, Phoebe was a deaconess too, we should totally do that. It's biblical. Dial it back for a second and let's study out the scriptures and see what they say. Phoebe was not fulfilling the role of a deacon at the church here. She was just simply one who served in the church. And again, we'll find that word if you were to do like a a Greek word study on the the New Testament. You're going to find that word diakonos all throughout the New Testament. And it's not always talking about the office of the deacon. So again, really important that we, we get that hammered out. And again, people might say, well, I think there was a female deacon uh, in, in the book of Romans. Not a female deacon, just a woman who served the church. Go back to First Timothy chapter 3. So husband of one wife, and then uh, again, verse number 12, ruling their children and their own houses well. So again, they need to manage their children and their household well. What that means is he's the spiritual leader of his wife and his family. His kids are ruled well. Now, does that mean his kids are perfect? Heavens no. But it means when his children step out of line that they're disciplined. When their children rebel against Jesus, they're disciplined as a result of it in accordance with Scripture. Now, again, if it were up to our children to give us the capability to be biblically qualified for ministry, it would be very tough because we've got to make sure that all of our kids stay in a row just so that we can keep our office, right? But it's not a matter of like, oh, my kids misbehave and now I'm not allowed anymore. It's a matter of, did I rule my house well? And so maybe I have a child that's living in rebellion to God. I'm going to discipline them appropriately according to Scripture. That's ruling your house well. Allowing your kids to live in unrepentant, unchecked sin, to continue to live after the world and live for the world, yet provide no oversight, no leadership, no guidance for that, is neglecting your calling to lead your home well. I'll take a look at next week uh, how Paul says to uh, uh, Timothy, hey, if, if a pastor doesn't know how to lead his own home, how can he lead the house of God? So again, there's a correlation here. So it comes down to uh, these qualifications Now, in churches, there's no biblical qualifications for a leadership team or a church board or a church council or church trustees or anything like that. You want to create a leadership team or a church board or a a committee of some sort, that's fine. Whoever wants to be can be on that, can be on it. But when it comes to the office of a deacon, there's biblical qualifications for that that you absolutely cannot get around without being disobedient to the Bible, period, well, we've got this guy, he sure does give a lot of money, and he's a sweet dude, and you know, he's been married three or four times, but I think he'd be a good deacon. Not according to the Bible, he wouldn't. And if you do that, you're being disobedient to Scripture, and when we violate God's Word, God doesn't let that go unchecked. So again, when it comes down to this, and again, at Huicala, do you know how many committees we have in our church? Anybody want to take a guess? <laughs> None. <laughs> we don't have any, like ever. Uh, one, one time, one time in the history of our church, we created a team. <laughs> it was called the transition team. When we moved from the, the auditorium over there into this building over here, we created a transition team that was made up of uh, one of our, our, our men who works with the city and knows a lot of things about building and, and construction and things like that. Another one of uh, guys in our church that owned a construction company. Uh, another guy uh, in our church that was just a, a godly dude that could pro- provide some, some guidance and a mechanical engineer, right? And they made up the transition team. It was not a committee, because you know what committees do? They have meetings, and they take minutes, and they take votes. You know what teams do? They roll up their sleeves and get to work. And so we created this team, and I asked these people to be a part of this team with the idea that once we move in here and everything is checked off of our to-do list, the team disbands never to be seen ever again. <laughs> We're not going to get together in six months and have, have dinner and laugh and talk about how great it's No, it's done. It's over, and we're moving on from it. We didn't put out a call for people to uh, nominate people for this committee. I selected people that would help us to move the ball up the field, and that was it. You don't find any time in all of the Bible where committees are created. You just don't. And so, again, our church doesn't have any committees. We don't have any boards. 
<laughs> there was a guy one time, um, and I tell this story because it was, it's funny now, but it was frustrating at the time. Um, our church was really, really young. I mean, we're talking probably second year or so, so we're talking maybe, maybe 2015, 2016, and we were really trying to get some, some traction. There was a lot of people who were coming that were uh, hanging out on Sunday mornings, but they weren't coming back on Sunday night. They weren't really engaged. We had this solid group of probably, I don't know, 20 or so people that were really engaged, but the rest of the people were kind of just hangers on, not really uh, c- committing to anything. And so I said, hey, if you're interested in taking the next step here at Hui Kala in church membership, we're going to have a church membership luncheon for every, I'm going to feed you lunch, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a church member and how you can get plugged in and opportunities that we have for you to serve and things like that. And so I was so pumped up about it. We catered lunch in that day. And I mean, uh, back in the day, I mean, like catering lunch, I might as well have written a check for $80,000. We just didn't have it. Like I'm doing it by faith because I believe this is going to take us to the next level and get these people and cast a vision for them and show them where this church is going and Jesus is at work and you can join in and be a part. I was so pumped. Uh, and so we had probably I don't know, 20 people show up to that meeting. And I was just like, oh, this is huge. This is huge. I mean, like, if 50% of these people buy in, that's huge. I was so excited. And so I lay out the vision, and I'm talking and stuff like that. And I get to the end, do you have any questions on any of this? And everybody's been nodding their head the whole time and stuff like that. (laughs) One guy raised his hand. I, I remember his name to this day. And he says, yeah, as I'm looking through this, I'm seeing a lot of ministries where you can serve. I don't see any committees here anywhere. Yeah, th- great question. We don't do committees here. Um, again, we're not going to vote on whether or not we're going to pay our bills this month. We're just going to pay our bills. How about that? You know, we're not going to vote whether or not we're going to clean the carpet in the auditorium. We're just going to clean the carpet when it needs to be cleaned. We're not going to vote on you know, our janitorial supplies if we should go with a new vendor. We're just going to buy stuff that cleans the church and just move on and tell people about Jesus. So th- great question. And he sits there for a minute. Anybody else have any questions? He raised his hand again. I'm just like, oh, my show. So, if you don't have any committees, like, what am I supposed to be in charge of? Oh, I see where this is going. And I said, yeah, I think, um, I think maybe you misunderstood. Nobody here, myself included, is really in charge of anything. We just do what needs to be done. And he was like, oh, yeah, I don't like that. Like in front of everybody. Okay. It was good enough for Jesus, so it's good enough for me. And so everybody kind of like laughed nervously. He's like, anybody else had any questions? All right. Now let's have a word of prayer. And so we prayed. No lie. Out of 20 people, zero people asked for any information about church membership. And honestly, within like three months, all those people were gone. I was so discouraged. No lie. To this day, we have never had a church membership information luncheon. <laughs> never. You want to know about church membership? I'll send you an email and you can read it. We can get together and talk if you want to, but I'm not feeding you lunch. I'm not going to get burned again. But I thought to myself, like, wow. But here's the thing we don't need committees to get the Great Commission done. We have the church, that's how we get stuff done. We don't need a committee to clean the atrium on Saturday afternoon. We got small groups that can jump in and get that stuff done. Hey, look, we don't need to overcomplicate the local church ever. And so again, it's 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 so interesting when you go to some churches, just like, oh, I want to talk to the pastor. Oh, well, we'll have somebody from his office get back to you. It's like, well, he's right there. Can I just go talk to him? No, you can't do that. You need to talk to your assistant small group leader and then talk to your small group leader and then talk to the, the pastor of small groups. And then the, after the pastor of small groups, you talk to the executive pastor and then he can deem whether or not the actual pastor needs to actually help you with that. And so kind of a process, you know. No, I don't know. <laughs> because if I'm a sheep, I should have a shepherd that I can ha- have to shepherd and guide me. And if I can't get to the shepherd, I should have men of the church that have offloaded a burden from the pastor that can take my burden for me. Those are called the deacons. So again, we don't need all this massive flow charts and -and so-and-so's in charge of this or that. We just need to follow a biblical guidance and model for church leadership. Now again, would things be different if our church had 6,000 people? Sure. That's why our church will never have 6,000 people. Let's be honest with you. 
if I can't effectively shepherd you and your family, you should find a different church. I can't effectively shepherd a thousand different people. I just can't. So again, we either bring on more pastoral staff and maybe add more additional layers in here somewhere, or again, as, as we've been talking about, we split our church and we plant another church across town so we can reach more people for Jesus. I think that's a New Testament model right there. So again, when it comes to the deacons, deacons are not a board of directors of the church's spiritual leaders. Rather, deacons are there to care for the needy, poor, and suffering members of our churches and to relieve the church elders. That word elders can be used synonymously with pastors of many practical needs so that the shepherds can attend more to fully teaching, guarding, and leading the whole flock. So the deacons are burden bearers. They're shock absorbers. They're unity uh, keepers. They're servants. If anything needs to be done, man, they're willing, ready, and able to, to get it done. That's why, you, again, our deacons don't introduce themselves like, oh, I'm, I'm Deacon John, I'm Deacon Tim. They're just out there serving, you know. They're setting up tables. They're setting up chairs. They're talking to people when they come in. They're getting to know people's names. They're having people in their homes. They're praying with people. They're texting people throughout the week. They're involved in people's lives. They're encouraging the pastor. They're asking, what else can we do to help you so that you can focus on the things that you need to and again, I praise God for a healthy, healthy New Testament church. Not just because we got two great deacons or because we got a really good staff member and his family, but because God's just been really good to our church. I tell people all the time, I've been in church my whole life, my whole life. I have never in my entire life ever been a part of a church like this before, ever. Never have. I've never seen God work and move in a church family like he's working and moving in this church family now. I've never seen that before. I mean, I've never seen a church family so healthy that loves and cares for one another like this. And I just want you to know that we're blessed, super blessed. Our deacons are two of the godliest men that I know. They're not just fulfilling an office or a role for the church. They're friends of mine. They're encouragers of mine. If I, if I was feeling down, I know for a fact I would call them and they'd be there in a moment's notice. They encourage me, they help me, help me keep things on track. And I know that both of these men are not just yes men. That if they thought for a split second there was something wrong in my life, they'd be the first ones to call me out on it. And here's the thing, I need that in my life. I want somebody to tell me if I'm wrong. I want somebody to point out something that's not right the way that it should be. I need that type of, of people in my life, and you do as well. And so, again, uh, we'll take a look at the office of the deacon tonight. Uh, next week, we're going to take a look at the office of the pastor. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.